And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. Going to talk the, well, final weekend uh, of the Cubs season at Wrigley Field. The final series uh, is coming this week, although it's a little weird. They're both the Reds, uh, is scheduling quirk. So it kind of feels like one big six-game series split among two locations. But I guess technically the Cubs did sweep a series this weekend. Uh, it actually was their seventh win in a row, and they, I haven't checked the updated numbers, but man, the last three weeks or so, it's a pretty ridiculous uh, record. The Cubs are rocking the last three weeks, even going back to the uh, that series in New York against the Mets, where the Cubs swept them, and that, that has led to its own discourse involving the Mets, uh, who themselves were just swept this weekend by the Braves, and now are almost assured to not win the NL East and we won't get into all that again but I had to sip a little tea <laughs> this morning because I, I mean was... the Braves have a Contreras brother and the Mets don't I mean we That's, can just bottom I mean, line that for you that was the mistake you know could have you could have had a Contreras v Contreras down the stretch uh but that actually is where we're going to start good 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 little segue there Mooney that was that was well executed uh we want to talk a little bit about uh, farewell part seven to Wilson Contreras at Wrigley Field. Um, I think so. Okay. So it was the last home game of the year. And out of that, you always have some nice things regardless of the season. You know, you've got the the players themselves doing some extra farewells um, for the fans and you've got, you know, the grounds crew sings the seventh inning stretch uh, this year, you know, with the Cubs winning, the players actually came out onto the field and did a little extra go Cubs go. Um, but part and parcel of that is the knowledge that if, you know, not everybody's going to be back. And uh, for as much as we focus on the players on the Cubs who are going to impact the team in 2023, as repetitive as it has been, in respect to Wilson Contreras, I think it is worth noting again that, that that was probably his last home game at Wrigley Field as a Chicago Cub. And he stayed out on the field longer to say a little additional farewell to the fans. And it was evocative, uh, but it, to a lesser degree of what we saw before the trade deadline when everybody, including Wilson, expected he would be dealt. And so perhaps it was just the uh, the ennui of of having done it so many times that it, it I don't know I I almost forgot 
that that was going to be a thing yesterday until, you know, the game ends and then they're doing the player thing and then he stays out. And, or, excuse me, no, it was in the eighth when he got pulled. Um, you know, David Ross pinch ran for Wilson, seventh or eighth inning uh, with Alfonso Rivas. And then Contreras got a standing ovation then. And it was sort of like, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this, this is, even more definitely probably his final home game with uh with the cubs and so yeah did you i i'm imagining a similar reaction on your side yeah i I was prepared for that to be a thing and i was curious to hear the crowd and see the reactions and there definitely was a nice roar you know for his first at bat and there were standing ovations throughout uh, the day and um, but it just didn't land as hard as it had earlier and I think it's just like you alluded to Brett like part seven of this when you know I think back to in Washington DC the day after last year's trade deadline and we were not allowed in back in the clubhouse yet at that point and Wilson Contreras met a group of us uh, down the left field line um at Nationals Park there. I mean, he just, you know, he's not exactly someone who walks with his head down or slumps down, but he just walked towards us, like, with his chest out. And if I was reading his mind, it was like, okay, I want to be the man now. And I think he thought or hoped, like, okay, build around me. Like, I've been here for so long. I won a World Series ring. I play my ass off all the time. And I think he was waiting for some of that love. And um, not that the Cubs treated him poorly per se. It was just like, I think that was his hope uh, after that huge sell off that last year's trade deadline. And now fast forward, uh, whatever, a year and two months roughly. And I just don't think he has that much more to give in terms of like, ringing more sentimentality mentality out of this and like thanking people who've helped him along the way or like um you know sharing his thoughts on the roster or how close the cubs are i I just think the reality for wilson is that he's loved his time here uh you know he's made his dreams come true and now he wants to see what's out there and take care of his family and i guess theoretically that you know, he could get paid really well off a qualifying offer for one year, but I don't know, reading between the lines and kind of observing up close, it just seems like he wants to go somewhere where he's wanted. And I guess he pretty much said that. And I don't think he really thinks that the Cubs value his intangibles at all. Um, I think he's aware that the Cubs have questions about uh, his defensive game. And so you have a scene like yesterday where it's, you know, it's not 40,000 fans because the Cubs attendance was its lowest since 1997, excluding the the COVID seasons. And it's a Bears Sunday. The Cubs are out of it. They're playing the Reds for the millionth time. Like, I don't know. It was not exactly, uh, you know, didn't David Ross get one of those kind of walking off, uh, you know, for his last regular season? It was not that and you know Wilson Contreras has been around a lot longer than David Ross and has been an all-star here and it was just kind of this not quite going through the emotions because I mean Wilson genuinely you know 
wanted to soak it in and take the snapshots and meet with his family behind home plate. But uh, at a certain point, there's you know, he doesn't have much more to say or, or much more to give here. It's kind of time to pick a lane and, and move on for both sides. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, where I have landed just reading the tea leaves over the years because it's, you know, I'm glad you brought up last trade deadline and the aftermath of it that it's very easy and I think correct to say that if the Cubs wanted to be committed to Wilson Contreras, that would have been the time to do it. And there were just never any, there were just never any indications of that heading into the offseason last year, through the offseason last year, into spring training. It, it just seemed very clear that the current iteration of the front office, it I don't even know that it's correct to say they wanted to move on from Wilson Contreras so much as they feel they can handle the position in total value maybe more effectively than they could by retaining Wilson Contreras at a you know at a higher salary level and time will tell if they're right on that it's going to be one of those things that's going to be a little tricky to evaluate because it's going to necessarily involve some of those you know uh, soft factors of like what a catcher does in in game calling, game prep, all that kind of stuff that like, I don't know, nobody's going to say out loud, or at least nobody with the organization is going to say out loud is the is the challenge that they've not been able to overcome with Wilson Contreras. But it's like, it's just not hard to suss that out, you know, based on what we were hearing at the trade deadline, based on the fact that they didn't commit to him long term last year. And, um, you know, at this point in his career, he is what he is, which is just a upper echelon, top tier offensive catcher. And he's only ever been with the Cubs, maybe in a different organization. A lot of those questions about um, the defense and the game calling that stuff, maybe it goes away. And maybe the problem was the Cubs all along. And we, we can't know. He can't know. And he has earned the right to explore the market. And the Cubs, for their part, have made a choice. And I, you know, I, I love Wilson Contreras as a fan. I love his energy. I love his attitude. I love his offense. Uh, but I, it, it does, it just feels very organic for this to be like a separation. It just feels, I don't know. It, it Maybe it's the residue of last year's trade deadline with so many of those core guys having moved on and now me feeling energized as a fan to kind of like, let's go into next year and sort of, Maybe that confirmed for me, okay, you know, I can get past all of the the World Series heroes departing and still enjoy my experience as a Cubs fan. And so so maybe that's a bit of it. But I think um, the only outstanding question is going to be about that qualifying offer. And I think that that week after, well, frankly, leading up to the qualifying offer issuance from the Cubs, I think there's going to be some market exploration, some phone calls, some digging to, to figure out like, okay, is our Wilson and his reps going to find enough confirmation in the week after we make this qualifying offer that he will be able to sign a big multi-year deal and therefore he will definitely reject this offer and therefore we should definitely make it? Or is there going to be a little bit of questioning about like, uh-oh, he might find a soft market out there. Financially, this might not be a deal we actually want and what if he accepts it and what if it just creates unnecessary discomfort heading into 
2023, given all this stuff that we're talking about, about how it's clear the Cubs have, you know, aren't committed to him. I do wonder, I think, do you know what situation it makes me think about is Carlos Rodon last year with the White Sox. I remember when they did not make the qualifying offer, there was a lot of surprise initially. And then it, in the aftermath, it became very clear that the reason the White Sox didn't make that offer is because they didn't have confidence he would reject it and they didn't feel like they could afford it. Well, they were wrong in that respect. I'm sure they would have been happy to have him at any price. But I I think that that calculus, how it kind of, it's you have to take multiple steps back, um, is what the conversation is going to be about in the weeks leading up to that decision after the World Series. Because I think, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just soft-stepping this so carefully. I don't think the Cubs want him back on that deal. Me personally, it's like, how could you ever say no to a one-year $19 million deal for a guy that even if you don't want him catching every day, it's like, okay, you can catch once a week and we'll DH you a lot of time for space, whatever. You can get value out of that. The bat is good enough, but I just, I don't know. I don't get the sense that that's what the direction they want to go. And so I think there's going to be uh, some discussion about, okay, are we definitely sure that he's going to reject this i i guess what i'm just trying to they'll definitely offer it like there's no doubt about that well so so then here's what i'm preparing well i agree with you that it should be that level of no-brainer but i think that folks need to be prepared for that five percent chance that nope even at 119 cubs don't want that deal and I just, I think it's, I, I don't know. Like I said, 5% chance. That would be an chance. absolute just, failure of imagination and planning if that was the case. I, I don't think, I think that's close to. I think to there's a place for him at that. A I agree. Percent, like, I don't know what, I guess in theory he could, you know, plan Cincinnati and like blow out his knee and then, you know, they won't oh, well. get the cough. But outside of that, I feel, and this is an issue that we've been hearing throughout the year as we've been talking to people and kind of working on, you know, kind of the season autopsy of like the Cubs are obviously obsessed with whatever Ivy tells them. Okay. So the catching thing in the 30 in, you know, as Wilson's in his thirties, that seems to be, you know, a cause for alarm bells internally. Uh, They love the soft factors for catchers because those aren't expensive and that, you make a great point about we'll see next year. You know, what if the Cubs bring in like Rodon and he wins a Cy Young Award and then everyone can like, you know, give Jan Gomes half of it. You know, it's going to be like, oh, look at this. Even though it's, I mean, Carlos Rodon's been uh, a really good pitcher for a long time at the top of the draft uh, talent. And I also think there's something to the Cubs seeing the flaws in their own players because they've seen them up close for so long and totally overlooking some of the issues with players that they've brought in that, you know, only seeing the upside with all of these grab bag players they brought in, or even the guys like Stroman and Suzuki, it's kind of clinging to like, this is what we think they can do. And with this entire generation of the 2016 players, they keep saying goodbye to a lot of it has been focused on, what they don't do well. And that's been 
you know, we'll see who's you know right in the end. I mean, and as long as the Cubs are right, it's not a big deal. But it's it's a weird kind of tick of this front office now of you know wanting to do things their own way with kind of a blank slate. Uh, guys who are maybe not as opinionated as Wilson, who don't have their you know kind of uh, maybe the same sense of independence on how they want to do things and that you know not that they're creating a team full of robots but there has been a distinct lack of talk about basically everything Theo talked about when he came in about like culture and the heartbeat and connectivity and Jason Hayward alluded to this during his final press conference not saying the Cubs should bring back Jason Hayward as a player next year but uh, he was a big part of that and you know that the people who listen to his rain delay speech, people who are in that weight room, like think culture and stuff like that matters. And we haven't really seen it thus far um, in this post-World Series, post-Theo kind of pivot here. And I still think a one-year deal for Will... The Cubs love one-year deals. You know, that's ideal for the kind of nonstop flexibility that they're searching for when they don't really appear to want to commit to too many guys or commit to expectations, anything like that. Uh, We were joking on the walk down to the clubhouse after the game of like, okay, who's going to ask Wilson in spring training next year about the trade deadline after he takes the qualifying offer. And I, I really don't think that will happen, but that would just be, you know, a big bowl of, of awkward if that's kind of how it shook out. And I still think that's a very low, low, low probability of happening. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I think just to wrap this, lowest probability outcome is no qualifying offer because the Cubs don't want to risk that outcome that you just mentioned. Second lowest would be an accepting of the qualifying offer. I, I don't think we can take it off the table. I think it is possible that in that week of exploration, he he and his representatives are like, oh my God, this, the market is terrible for us right now for whatever reason. You know, being attached to draft pick compensation, questions about the catching, you know, et cetera, I, I don't. I just don't think we can rule it out. Uh, still, you know, unlikely. And then the most likely is that he gets the qualifying offer, rejects it, and finds a decent three, four-year deal out there. And, and I certainly hope that for him. Um, I think we can take from that uh, your discussion about culture, I think is an interesting one in relation to what we are seeing in the second half from this Cubs team. And it would be easy to say, ah, 
you know, we haven't seen that culture yet, but it looks like they're coalescing a little bit. Looks like things are coming together and there's going to be, you know, this, this team will have an identity and it's whatever. And I, I would not get into, I'm not going to get into all of that right now in part, because I think when it comes to those questions of culture and we have to be careful that it's not the tail wagging the dog, because I don't know where I've, we've all heard some variation of it. It's where it's like, it's easy to have a good culture when you're winning, you know, winning it's it. We want to be able to say that like having the right culture leads to winning, but sometimes it's just, if you're doing the winning, it's a lot easier to have like great stories and happy moments and guys who support each other and, and no strife. And, you know, but even that might be the point, you know, it might be that winning begets more winning for a lot of, a lot of reasons. And so it, it, I guess, ties to a conversation we've been having going back to, to August when the Cubs did start to win more with the, you know, it, it, a softer part of their schedule. Yes. But they were missing a lot of players. A lot of, a lot of the regulars have been missing for big chunks of the second half. And we've seen some depth guys come up and perform well. And we've seen a collection of guys that we may not see as impact players for the Cubs in 2023, but certainly useful players at the margins doing a lot of the performance that's leading to this winning. And so I think it's, I think even on its own merits, winning a lot of games and seeing that you can win a lot of games with these players is, is going to have a positive impact in the off season preparation and the, readiness to really buy in in March and April for whatever it is that the Cubs set up. If it is that culture that you're talking about that they haven't had, maybe they got an idea. Maybe they just needed to get the slate clean. And then it's like, here's what we're about. And here's how we're going to coordinate. And here's how we're going to win games. And maybe you get more buy-in from guys at that point because they've seen, okay, remember that second half in 2022, we were winning a ton of games with like just the, 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 the coaching and the platooning and the, the way we were, doing it was working. So I'm going to buy in more. I don't know. I have other thoughts on why the winning is good. And we've touched on them before, but like, I don't know. You got me thinking about this, the cultural element of, of whether the winning alone can be its own good thing and helping you define whatever that culture is going to be in the following season. Yeah. I just think culture has been on my mind because that's all the Cubs talked about for years. And granted, some of it was a little exaggerated. Cubs way. Yeah, exactly. It's different here. Did you know that, Brett? And like, <laughs> it's just kind of, I don't know, a little bit of a tired act here. Like this has not been a winning season and the kind of, you know, just this months of, a Cubs team that's been kind of, ha- you know, in the clubhouse vibe is just kind of happy to be here. And, you know, they, it's, it's going to be just, we've been talking about it for months too. It's just a huge prove it off season. And like, that's great. If you think you can get more for less out of the catching position, but like look around baseball, there's not many very good catchers. There are very few who can do the offensive and defensive things that, uh, Wilson can do. And, you know, the Cubs have a lot of, you know, several good pitchers who can pitch like a hundred innings a year, but they don't really have like that horse who really 
ties it all together. And you're probably going to be down one regular position player in Wilson and Ian Happ's going to the last year of his contract. And you know, you're kind of hoping that Saya does continue making adjustments and becomes that all-star hitter and not just like a pretty good right fielder. So um, I think there's been a lot and this can be a good transition of like, what are we actually seeing here? And I don't think that people on the, there's a huge difference between people on the inside and the outside. I think everyone's kind of like, what do you really make of this? And David Ross was asked yesterday about, this kind of prospect orientation program they've been having for the last couple of days uh, at Wrigley Field. And he said something like, prospects are nice, but they're just prospects, right? And some of them are going to get traded. Some of them won't make it at all. And hopefully uh, some will contribute to a championship team in Chicago someday. And that hopefully seeing – Wrigleyville, like looking out from Hotel Zachary and walking around the park and, you know, being in the stands for Hayward's ovation, seeing him flash the ring uh, for the video board will like spur that those younger players to like commit to the offseason and accelerate their development process and get to Wrigley Field as soon as possible. But those are still prospects. These are unproven players uh, in a you know a farm system that has tried to put together a lot of kind of theoretical concepts to see what will work and what doesn't and um, you have a payroll that's been kind of cut to the bone here and they need to spend money period to uh, just put a good product out on the field I think it's easy to you kind of win it's a lot easier to win games in September uh, when people are kind of half paying attention then to like put together, you know, a real wire to wire season where you're competitive and, and engaged and building towards something bigger. And I think if we look around here, like uh, I think you wrote it today of like, if this is whatever 76 win team, it shouldn't be that hard to build an 85 win team. And that pretty much, doesn't get you in the playoffs it gets you in the conversation until the end of September early October and now I'd asked David Ross about that the other day and he's well the goal is winning championships you know and like that's great you know we want to win multiple championships but you have to get in the playoffs first and I think there's a real risk for all these people involved to not try really really hard to win next year because uh, there are only so many of these mulligan seasons that you get when you're running baseball operations, when you're running uh, a field staff, when you're you know, a major league player trying to put a career together. You know, that's, I think, a, an important point that I have maybe not underscored enough. And I almost want to get my notepad out and take a quick note so I remember to say it later in other media other than the podcast. But I think for as much as I will continue to talk about the success in the second half for this Cubs team. And I do think it matters for a variety of reasons. I especially like, again, that it's coming on the backs primarily of guys who are going to be factors next year. It's not like it's a bunch of outgoing players that are driving the winning. It's guys who are going to be with the Cubs next year, by and large. 
albeit perhaps in lesser roles, you would hope. Uh, but none of that means that this was a good season, that this was a successful season, that this wasn't a punt. It was, you know, we, we've said for a long time that, you know, the Cubs gave themselves that 10% chance in spring training that if a dozen things went crazy right, they could be competitive. And the much more likely thing was that that wouldn't happen. And then that this would be a punt of a season where you were starting to build up some talent, but that you weren't ever really going to be competitive. And um, that is an additional reason why it's so much more important for the Cubs to look competitive heading into 2023 and then have that better start so that they can try to sustain at least that, you know, be part of that conversation for the whole season. And I think to that end, it does make me all the happier that the Cubs aren't just like finishing out the season at 500 and it's like, okay, so they did a little better in the second half and it's like, okay, still going to try to take another step forward this off season. We'll see like, no, they're winning a shit ton. Like they, they crushed September and October in terms of the raw results in the win loss column. And that just, it just makes it so much easier for, I think everyone involved to look at this off season as an opportunity to build on that rather than, well, we've got to do a little better than like another punting season. You know, it's like, okay, we, we, we punted for a season and a half. Now we got to kind of start to look a little better and do a little better. It's like, no, you had a stretch with these depth players, like where you were winning a lot of games and now you have an opportunity to add real impact, like multiple significantly impactful pieces this offseason. You've got that opportunity in front of you to carry forward this version of the team, not just stepping forward from a punt season. You're, you can step forward from a decent, uh, you know, a, a team with a lot of decent pieces on it. And so, uh, yeah, I'm for that reason, in addition to many others, I'm happy that the Cubs are winning a lot of games going into the offseason, you know, we talk about it's the draft lottery. It's it's not who cares. You'd, you'd always rather be, if you're going to be losing anyway, you'd rather be higher in the draft. But is that worth more than having that extra sense of urgency to add impact players this offseason? I sure don't think so, because I'd like to see a decent team in 2023. So to me, the most important thing in this second half was, it was internal developments and then being left in a place where it's like, okay, yeah, definitely there's no reason not to make significant impacts this offseason. And I think that's where it's going to be left. I dig a lot of the developments I've seen, and I don't see any reason at all to not, you know, to not be really aggressive on the, in the most impactful players available. And I think having that contrasted against this prospect weekend is actually really instructive too, because you look at these guys who are coming in great prospects. The Cubs really do have tons and tons of really good prospects right now, but it's different than 2014 and 2015 when you had that the the top prospects in the Cubs system then were, you know, top 20 guys in the game, multiple top 20 guys in the game that were like, well, getting us to that next competitive tier. Yeah. We're going to make some external additions, but we got guys coming that are really going to push us to the next level. And for as much as I really do like the Cubs system right now, and I, I love a lot of the prospects that were coming through this weekend, I don't think you can look at that group and say, well, that's what's going to tip us over next year. And, you know, 2023 and 2024, that's what's going to move us from 
being a so-so team to a competitive team. I don't think you can say that. And so it's all the more reason why I look at the state of things and I'm like, if ever there was a team in a situation that should be very aggressive in free agency and trade, it's this Cubs team at this moment. And I think nothing that has happened over the last month plus has done anything other than strongly reinforce that perspective. Yeah. They just got to go out and do it. It feels like we've been talking about these big picture concepts for months or years. And um, it's, I don't exactly see like kind of like a free agent quite like John Lester and it's not, you know, 1908 and it won't, won't be the same. I mean, we, we've, that's been made clear, but, um, you know, we have to do these power rankings uh, on the athletic and just kind of looking through the standings. It's just amazing. Like how many teams are just have punted or just not competitive at all, even in expanded playoff field. And that for the Cubs to show up to Mesa next year with like a good team on paper, uh, given uh, all the resources that they have at their disposal, given, like you said, uh quality depth in several different areas some interesting though unproven prospects uh including the starting pitching depth and just kind of the functional relievers that was just like totally non-existence the last time they did this and you know i get why there's skepticism from Cubs fans, we are talking like this, giving them kind of the benefit of the doubt here that they are going to actually follow uh, through on this and won't get scared and won't be like, you know, uh, you know, Cubs finished second in Korea bidding like over and over again because there was that, uh, you know, point there even before the lockout where basically that entire like middle tier of starting pitchers just like vanished and the Cubs kind of. Maybe panicked isn't the right word, but they definitely uh, rushed to get that Stroman deal done. And uh, I think we'll learn a lot about this front office, this ownership group, um, by how they proceed this offseason. Is it going to be, you know, these are the guys that we absolutely have to have and why? Or is it going to be kind of, well, we got a lot of options and flexibility and we don't even really have a timeline. So let's kind of see what happens. Like there's still, that is to be determined. And I think that'll that will be, be fascinating to watch. You, you, what? That was, that was the messaging though. I mean, what you just said, that's totally what it'll be. It'll be the, well, you know, we want to have flexibility and we've got a lot of options and we don't have a timeline. And we like, I think that you, you were, I think half kidding, but you actually put that really well for what, no matter what they do, even if the even if this front office does sign Carlos Correa, I think I don't think it's going to be couched in. Well, we we felt like this was the time when we needed to really make impact and turn the page for next year. I think we'll say that. I would say that. But I think it'll be well. You know, there's good value there. We think he's he's you know uh, the aging curve is going to be kind to him, and we think uh, you know whatever the deal is. I mean, they're not signing a ten year deal so they're going to be able to talk about flexibility uh regardless but i i think you're you're teeing up an interesting way of thinking about what they actually do this offseason as opposed to how they um message about it uh, that that'll be something i think i'm going to start thinking about here in october when the 
regular season ends. Because I historically, even going back to Theo's days, I, I feel like you could maybe read into what they were saying to be like, okay, I think this is what they're thinking and what they're going to do. But their actions often would not align with the messaging. And I get the sense that in the Jed and Carter era, I think they might even be even more cautious about not just not creating expectations and not uh, giving the market anything to use um, against them. Well, I think, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't really matter what they say anymore, that it's going to be all about the actions this off season. Now there, you know, I'm sure Marquis will be running the entire Jed press conference, uh, you know, at the end of the season. And, you know, some of that stuff is asked just to see their reactions and see what they say. It's not always from a reporter's perspective, like, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter what they say. It just, the question matters more than what they say just to see. And, you know, I think, uh, Theo was an expert at laying out kind of what he was thinking and putting, uh, laying out certain pressure points and, and applying pressure to either like players or ownership or the business side or just venting his frustrations in a really like raw way that I think resonated with Cubs fans. I think that was really one of the areas where Theo excelled at was speaking directly to Cubs fans and explaining what they're doing. And I think that's been lacking uh, from the entire Cubs organization uh, recently, and that you know, you know, Jed and, and Carter have not been particularly visible around the major league team. They have not been very much out front uh, explaining what they're going to do, which is their prerogative. I mean, that's you know, I'm not complaining here. I'm just laying out kind of where they are, and that ultimately. Uh, we're going to see what they're thinking. And, you know, I th- think laying out the offseason, it is kind of like, okay, prove it. You know, if you have so many great prospects, if you have such a great pitching infrastructure, if, you know, it is so different here and the vibes are great, then invest in your team. And, you know, I, I still think it's to be determined whether or not they can kind of get beyond some of the reliance on the Ivy computer system and like really be convicted in what they want to do and what they want to be. And that is, I think those questions to a certain extent will be answered this off season. Because we know in free agency, especially coming off a freshly completed CBA, the guys you really want tends to be the case there are multiple teams that really want that guy. And so if you are truly convicted in it, you're going to have to pay more than you want. You're going to have to pay more than the computer system tells you is appropriate value. And uh, I think you're right that that's, that too will be an interesting angle to this offseason. I always say, take whatever deal you think is almost kind of outrageous for a guy and then add another year and add a couple million to the AAV. And that's what the guy will actually get. And so, uh, you know, I have I I wonder about the Cubs' ability to go or willingness to go to that level on certain guys. But I mean, isn't that the old uh, Andrew Friedman quote? Like, if you want to be rational in free agency, yeah, Yeah. you're always going to finish in third place. Yeah. Uh, And interestingly, you know, small small market groomed Andrew Friedman of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who now run a payroll 
even even now still approaching 300 million so don't i guess we we can't lose sight that it's um uh it can still be even with that mindset you can still end up carrying a pretty expansive payroll and the cubs have i think 92 million on the books for next year so uh should be plenty of opportunities to uh be a little irrational this offseason you just got to get the targets right so we'll uh, of course cover that for you this offseason so this is i think this is the last podcast that we're doing in the regular season we'll establish a new rhythm for the offseason um and uh, you know for the playoffs which the cubs aren't involved in but are still of interest to most baseball fans and then the offseason itself um you'll you'll pick up on that new rhythm pretty quickly i gather and uh, we look forward to getting into it all in the months ahead so thank you all for a great season this is me doing my you know my like wave uh to the to the fans to the as you've probably heard by now we've teamed up with betmgm this season we'll be using betmgm lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week if you haven't signed up for betmgm yet use bonus code the athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to the athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with betmgm here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.